Howdy everyone, we've got an exciting bonus episode of Taxpayer Talks for you today. We recently interviewed outgoing Texas State Representative Jeff Kaysen and got his thoughts on things like property taxes and whether there's an appetite in the Texas legislature to actually address the problem that surrounds them. We also got his take on his experiences at the local level while he sat on the Bedford City Council. And we also talked about corporate welfare and the prospects of some programs potentially returning in the next legislative session. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy. Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, and it's only made possible from generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Taxpayer Talks. My name is Tim Harden, President of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I'm here with Jeremy, our Executive Director, and our special guest, Jeff Kaysen, uh, who is currently a taxpayer champion and a newly minted board member of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. How are you doing today, Jeff? Good. Hi, guys. How are you? We're doing great. We're doing great. Well, you just do, do us a favor and kind of give us a little history of uh, kind of your experience in politics and, and what you've been up to over the last year or so. Okay. Well, uh, as, as most people know, uh, maybe not most, but I've just finished uh, or will finish serving my one term as uh, Texas State Representative here in House District 92. And um, I, I previously uh, or currently actually been serving Hearst Eulis Bedford, a little of Grand Prairie, a little of Arlington. Uh, prior to that, I served on Bedford City Council from 2006 until 2009. Uh, spent uh, almost 50 years in corporate America and corporate Europe, uh, manufacturing, sales, and the energy sector and aviation. And um, I'm retired now after the end of this year, fully retired. And, um, you know, we'll have to see what happens next. Yeah. And I'm I'm honored to be a member uh, on the board here for Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. I hope to engage with uh, TFR and uh, help support and, um, you know, move the message forward uh, on uh, taxes and uh, things like that. We are excited to have you. You have uh, quite a resume, and you uh, you do host a podcast, right? Uh, Backroom Access, right? You tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I I forgot about that. It's it's called Backroom Access. It's it's a it's a concept I hatched, believe it or not, back in 2014. I got interested in podcasting, and um, uh, due to some issues relative to employment and so forth uh, with my European employer. I decided to shelve it and not do anything with it, but uh, I put the whole program together, music and everything, and um, put it on the shelf. And so I decided after serving this term, or actually after session was over, uh, I decided to go ahead and launch it January 31st of this year, 2022, and right now we just posted yesterday our 36th episode. Our our following has grown, and it's a political podcast, and basically the intent is to take my experiences behind the curtain in the back room and and take voters and, and listeners behind the curtains to show them 
uh, a peek at what I actually experienced and uh, the things that I encountered, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so that that that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Backroomaccess.com. Awesome. Yeah, it's a very well done podcast. I highly encourage our listeners to go check it out. Uh, you're going to get takes there that you you don't normally get from from legislators. So uh, good good to hear that. Well, let's get uh, let's get right into it, Jeff. Uh, today, of course, we want to talk about some fiscal issues uh, and the hottest topic uh, that we have been talking about lately is property taxes. Uh, I can't remember a year where people were more angry about their property taxes, and uh, rightly so. You know, uh, we have appraisals that are out of control. Uh, the legislature has attempted to uh, to to fix this, mainly the 2019. I believe that was right before uh, you came in. Uh, they passed SB2, which is historic property tax reform. This obviously has not really resulted in property tax relief. So yet again, here we are dealing with it more. We do have a uh, a surplus. And so wanted to one ask your opinion about about property taxes and just your general thoughts on that, but also. Uh, I wanted to hear your your story behind the scenes, specifically in the legislature, what the feelings were uh, kind of, you know, behind the curtain uh, and how realistic something like eliminating property taxes is with the current people we have in there. What are, what are your thoughts there? Well, Tim, I have I have two words. Property tax is theft. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That's a Joe Biden reference, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. But I do believe in my heart of hearts that property tax is theft. Uh, we've we've had some people a lot smarter than me do studies at TPPF, Texas Public Policy Foundation, and uh, there's there's a number of papers out there that uh, talk about a transitioning away from property tax and how it can be accomplished uh, in 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 a suitable manner. Um, for our, our whole state, for education and, and, you know, the things that we have to finance. The feeling um, in general that I got was that not too many people really um, embraced the idea of getting serious about moving away from property tax uh, at all. And most people understand, and if not, maybe after this, this session, they will, um, property tax is theft. And as long as you have to pay the government a tax on your property to stay in your home, you truly will never own your property. You will be a tenant, a renter from the government in perpetuity. And if you don't pay those tax, you'll find yourself at auction on the courthouse steps with your property being the item that's being auctioned. It's just that simple. We have a $27 billion surplus going into the 88th session. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't have the sense that there's too many legislators on the Republican side of the aisle that are, are very serious at all about moving this initiative forward. I think back last session about the, the budget exercise and the process we went through there with, with everybody being involved in all the amendments. But at the end of the day, after the session, the budget exercise was over, most of the amendments were stripped out in conference after it went to the Senate and then back to conference. So all of that work, in my view, was for nothing. And there were a few key players in leadership that basically called the shots and ended up crafting the final budget. 
And so I, I really think that uh, at the end of the day, um, the level the level of excitement about doing away with property tax and the question that I always get and I hear others ask so frequently is, but how are we going to do that? How are we going to finance our schools? How are we going to support our obligations here in the state? And you know, I, I give them a copy of these these white papers and just tell them read it and and make your own decision. But it is doable. We just have to take the first step forward. It wouldn't be an overnight situation. It would be a, a process. It would be a transitioning from our current system to a new system. But it can be done. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Jeremy? Yeah. First off, Jeff, we appreciate you being on. You are not the only uh, person who has been in the building, right, as an elected official to let us know or tell us that the budget process itself um, is the way it is, right? Uh, obviously concerned um, that there is a, a lot less uh, – uh, there's 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 a lot of quote unquote kind of theater that goes on, but so much of it, right? So much is is done behind the scenes, or the verdicts, the end result is kind of already written, decided by folks um, behind the scenes, if you will. So uh, for for our listeners, right, just kind of we're here again, you know, that it's another example of a lawmaker telling you that process, and I think as taxpayers. You know, when we hear something like that, we should be concerned, right? You know, if we're electing lawmakers um, to do a, a whole host of stuff, but to especially, right, make sure that they're good stewards of our tax money, right, and funding government service, that's concerning that maybe representation is not equally put into the process, right? So um, I appreciate you uh, talking through that. I think, you know, it's interesting you also talk about uh, not the, the property tax system or maybe eliminating property tax not being taken seriously. As you know, Representative Kaysen has a good steward of something, let's say, like your own party's platform, right? Voting in favor with that. This is it's in the the 2022 platform for the Texas GOP to get rid of it, but it was also in another capacity in the previous platform, right? And uh, lawmakers chose not to do uh, do anything with that. Why? Why do you think that is? Why is it that in a Republican majority legislature um, that things like you know outright policy positions, platform planks, aren't necessarily taken to 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 its end result and fruition? Well, I, I I really feel like there is a pretty high level of, of disingenuous behavior exhibited or exercised by a number of legislators, and I'm I'm not naming names, but but there you would be surprised at the number of legislators that that get elected after telling their constituents one thing, and then going to Austin, and and doing their own thing, and basically ignoring what the people that elected them for the job to do. And and that's that's disheartening. Uh, I, you know, I, I know it might sound cliche, but my word is my bond. And, and you know, that was one of the reasons that I voted the way I did for the speaker at the beginning of session. Uh, I had constituents that didn't want to, me to empower someone to appoint Democrats to important, powerful chair committee chair positions that ultimately could kill good legislation brought up by Republican members. Um, but I, I, I think in, in general, uh, Jeremy, the number of legislators that basically ignore a good number of those, those, uh, planks, uh, would be shocking. Um, you know, one comes to mind when that I just mentioned, uh, and that's appointing, you know, 
committee chairs to Democrats. And as you know, in the in the last election, it was over over what I think eighty three percent or eighty seven something like that voted to do away with that practice. Uh, the tradition isn't as long and 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 longstanding as as certain people in leadership would have you believe it is uh, in that practice. So uh, it, it, it just it just comes down to the voters vetting their legislators and, uh, you know, riding roughshod over them to make sure that they hold them accountable uh, for everything that they say they're going to do. It, it's interesting you bring up what you were speaking about was the ballot proposition, obviously, right, yeah. uh, for Republican primary voters. You know, another thing that was uh, passed with a majority this last uh, primary cycle was Republicans in the state of Texas wanting to eliminate the property tax. And so right. it'll be interesting to see. I'm, that's And that's more, by the way, right, argue, for argument's sake, right, for lawmakers that say, well, the convention process for a partisan convention process is maybe eight to 10,000 Republicans. Well, a ballot proposition is significantly more Republicans turning out at least, right, and voting in favor or in opposition of something. And so it'll be interesting to see if they ignore it in what way they ignore it or whether or not, you know, that's the, the thing that kind of puts them over the threshold this go around uh, specific to both, to your point, the, uh, the selection or allowing Democrat chairs um, when you have a majority and or eliminating the property tax. Well, I, there's, there's, there's kind of a ugly little secret that maybe a lot of voters don't understand or know about. And one of the things that surprised me when I got to uh, session last year in Austin for the first time was that there are a list of priorities and and the governor has his list of priorities. The speaker has his list of priorities. The lieutenant governor has his list of priorities. And then the Republican voters in Texas have their list of priorities, which is our platform, the planks in our platform and and you know, the most important ones spelled out, you know, by our our uh, party members. And uh, quite frankly, um, it, it just maybe it was just me, but I felt like the voters and what they wanted and what they were voting for came up in the caboose on the list of priorities. It, it was pretty much that simple. Yeah, I, I think you you nailed it when you said we have to to hold people accountable. Of course, that's why uh, TFR was created to hold lawmakers accountable. Uh, you proved with the index that uh, you are one that stands by your words. There are some good guys out there. Uh, we appreciate that. And of course, we appreciate you uh, being with us now as a board member. I did want to uh, switch gears and ask your perspective on uh, the local level. Uh, what we've seen lately is because of um, SB2 and the 2019 reform, and that it relied heavily on cities and local subdivisions lowering to what they've deemed the no new revenue rate, which is the rate in which they would have to lower it in order to not create any new revenue. It would be a neutral uh, tax rate. You wouldn't have a lower, but it wouldn't be higher. What we've seen from a lot of cities is they are promoting, hey, we're lowering to historic rates, or hey, we're lowering your rate by three points. But they're forgetting to tell people that, by the way, we're not lowering to the no new revenue rate, uh, and your taxes are actually, in fact, going to go up. And it's kind of set up this uh, this very common battle, whether it be between the you know the House and the Senate or the state and the city. Uh, and I'm just interested to hear your perspective when you were sitting on city council in in Bedford um, as a conservative, which I would assume is a pretty rare thing on on most big city uh, city councils. How does that work? And like, how does uh, how does the city council work? What are y'all's conversations like when it comes to things like funding the city? And and what is the general 
um, uh, what is the general uh, idea behind uh, are they seeking to cut taxes or are they trying to grab as much money as they can uh, or does that depend on the council member? Really, Tim, it depends on the council member. Uh, when I joined council in 2006, we we had a majority of conservative members for one year and and the rotation on on say a seven member council is two years uh you know two two and three and uh i was elected when three members were running and so i was i was the lone conservative for the most part uh, there was another member that got a little conservative once in a while but um for the first year it was great because uh four of us were pretty much together on most everything but um it's it's like anything else and and these these are supposed to be um Nonpartisan, there. You know, you don't you don't tell people whether you're a Republican or a Democrat uh, at the at the city level, which I think is hogwash. Um, and there's a lot of deception going on, and a lot of council members will run and try and fool people into thinking they're conservative. Um, the the desire at at local levels to um, put out uh, certificates of obligation, bonds, everything, and you know the the spending. It, it just it just it's like the state. It just continues to go up and up and up and up. And, um, you know, I ran when I did for the state house this position. And, you know, I said, hey, I ran on the on the basis of trying to cut taxes. The best that I could do when I ran was to be in agreement with those that would vote um, to hold the tax rate level. But with property tax going up, there was still an increase. Now, technically, can you say I raised taxes or was that the, the appraisal district that forced our hand? It's it's kind of a sticky wicket, you know, when you get into the nuts and bolts of how the process goes. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I find that these cities love to have slush funds. They love to have their little funds here and little funds there of surplus. And, and whenever you have a surplus, in the case of $27 billion, that money should go back to the taxpayers. Uh, and, and you know, when I see people like our lieutenant governor, or our governor talking about, well, we'll we'll, you know, apply 11 billion towards property tax or 17 billion towards property tax. Well, you know, is, is it their personal candy dish to do with as they please? At the end of the day, the government doesn't produce anything. They don't generate revenue they, they, because of manufacturing or turning a profit. They consume. And I I know it sounds ugly, but I always say it's like cancer. They just consume everything they get their hands on. And um, there's an insatiable desire at, at, at all levels, county, city, you name it, school districts, to keep spending other people's money. I call it people being high on opium, OPM, other people's money. <laughs> and, it's, and at the end of the day, it's wrong. And, um, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to run for office, especially at the state level. But I find that a lot of people that have done so are attorneys, business owners, people that are well-to-do financially. And, and and a lot of them, I would say a majority of them, don't experience the the hardships and the struggles and challenges financially that so many other everyday average folks uh, experience. And, you know, being on city council and now being in the state house, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to 
tons and tons of people and and people are struggling and that's why i'm i'm really adverse and 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 you know i, I that's why i say property taxes theft i it, it's upsetting to see these these people on these councils or in the state house or in the county the school boards just willy-nilly, well, hey, we'll just raise taxes. We need more revenue. We need a new field house. We need artificial turf. We we need, you know, whatever. And just go to the public trough and feed some more. And it's wrong. It's morally wrong. It's ethically wrong. It's it's absolutely wrong. Your thoughts, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so funny. You're, you're echoing so much, obviously, of what we talk about um, on a day-to-day basis, but things that we hear from taxpayers, right, um, constantly. As Tim and I uh, have kind of done the, the speaking circuit, if you will, um, over the last few months as we go to different events and stuff, I mean, we hear from everyday folks, like you mentioned, right, um, talking about these very things, and you just have to wonder – whether lawmakers, state lawmakers are hearing the same things, they've got to be. My assumption is they have to be. And whether they plan on doing anything more about it this go around, um, especially when, and I assume this is what Tim was somewhat alluding to uh, right earlier with, you know, we had this reform package in 2019. And, you know, I think Tim wrote about this a few weeks ago, and we talked about it previously on the podcast, yet another loophole, right, where they got to basically use dates and bank, right, X like excess money, like, or the bank not raising the rate previously to suddenly being able to raise it without voter approval. It's just things like this taxpayers are tired of, right? Frankly, they just don't understand why we can't just get this done, why we can't lower the rate at all, or at least lower the burden, not this like slow the growth strategy that Republicans have been engaged in in the last two decades. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, that has been mentioned here is is the Chapter 313 activity. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'd like to address that real quick. Yeah, uh, and, 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 you know, in uh, the 87th session, uh, unbeknownst to maybe a lot of people, I authored two bills uh, regarding Chapter 313, HB 2084, which would have repealed the renewable energy portion of the chapter. And then HB 2976, which uh, would have repealed the section entirely. And. Neither one of those bills even got a hearing. Um, but um, Morgan Meyer, who was chair of Ways and Means, um, he uh, introduced HB 4242, and that would have extended Chapter 313 for another two years. And and really, had it not been for the Senate, you know, essentially killing it, uh, this thing would have continued on. Um and now I'm hearing rumblings uh, that uh, the speaker is, uh, you know, all excited about, you know, bringing this back in some way, shape or form. And essentially the chapter 313, chapter 312, these these areas are nothing but but corporate cronyism, uh, you know, corporate handouts, taxpayer handouts to these companies uh, to s- supposedly entice them to come into the district, come into these areas and set up shop. A lot of them with the promise of employing, you know, X number of people, which more than often gets an exception or a waiver that never ends up materializing. And um, it's it's all done on the backs of taxpayers. Uh, and I, I wish our leaders, I, I wish fellow legislators would understand the concept of business 
Texas is such an incredible place to be and to do business in that we don't have to be giving away the farm. I don't think we have a lot of good negotiators in, 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 the, in the capital, and we don't have to give away the farm, especially taxpayers' farms, to get these companies to come in and settle here in Texas where the business climate is excellent. Yeah, you're right. You know, we, we've seen statistics where uh, businesses were polled and I want to say it was only two or three out of uh, 10 even said that the 313s, even though they accepted these were 313 uh, recipients, they said it, it really didn't have anything to do. They were coming to Texas because we're Texas. Uh, another problem right. is you know, we we oppose corporate welfare uh, at, in, in all circumstances. And 313s have become the largest corporate welfare program in Texas, I think totaling $10.8 billion. So, mm -hmm. so it is a it is a massive program that most people don't know about. You say 313, you're referencing a code, but essentially it's it's corporate welfare. And it. it, it's it's amazing that we have both the Democrat and Republican Party opposing this. But yet every time we come, there's always support in the legislature. Both both uh, you know sides of the aisle are ignoring basically the the larger party to uh, give handouts to their their corporate buddies. And we hope uh, that. They are not renewed in some other form this next go round. I think there's enough grassroots support to put pressure. Whether or not uh, they do the right thing, we will see. Uh, we will see for sure. Well, Tim, one thing I'd like to point out is that that when these these um, handouts are made to these companies coming in, that tax burden doesn't go away. Right. That tax burden shifts to the backs of everyday taxpayers and other business owners where they pick up the slack and 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 they have to absorb that that extra tax burden. It's it's not something that just goes poof and vanishes. Y'all don't have a tax money tree uh, at the Capitol. Y'all just go pull that money out of thin air. It actually has to come from somewhere. Yeah. You know, all the times I walked around the Capitol outside during the day, during the night, I didn't find that money tree. But I looked. <laughs> yeah, let us know if you find it. Do you have any any final thoughts, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, one of the things we haven't mentioned when it comes to 313s here, right? And I know Tim and I have kind of talked about this, and I was pulling some numbers yesterday as I'm, I'm working on a presentation on this subject, right? But, like, you know, there is concern. I think, what is the average, Tim? It's like 60 to 90 applications per year normally get processed, right, in the 313 program uh, via school districts that go to the Texas Comptroller. Well, in the first six months of this year, knowing that the program was going to expire or is set to expire at the end of this year, I think it was like 400, 400 to 500 of like them. 490, were, I think. Was yeah, that. we're, we're being, uh, we're, we're submitted to the Comptroller, right? And we have yet to see, by the way, what is what the verdict is on those but there's a very real possibility that in the event those get finally approved by the comptroller that that average cost per year right uh, that we're talking about increases significantly becomes billions more right because of that and that's that's something i think kind of in a weird way isn't necessarily being talked about uh by both proponents and opponents of 313s is we don't really know what's going to happen before right the program quote unquote expires at the end of this uh uh the end of this year before the legislature potentially brings up a replacement of some sort or, or doesn't mm-hmm well, hey, I uh, I think that is our time. Uh, we appreciate uh, you coming on with us, Jeff. Uh, of course, we look forward to having you again on here pretty soon. I want to encourage 
all of our listeners to please go visit backroomaccess.com. Uh, listen to him. He even has a, an episode on 313s, I believe, where he talks at length about it. Uh, so thank you very much, Jeff. We appreciate you. Uh, and we will see you again here pretty soon. Thanks, guys. It's, it's an honor to be serving with you. Appreciate it. For thank even you. more content, follow us on social media at Texas Taxpayers on Facebook and Instagram at Texas underscore taxpayers on Twitter. Subscribe to The Fiscal Note, our weekly email jam-packed full of information important to Texas taxpayers at texastaxpayers.com slash subscribe. And then make sure to check out our Texas Prosperity Plan, texastaxpayers.com slash TPP. Thanks.